So today we're going to continue to look at what Jesus started. And we're going to see that what he started in this passage, we're going to see that what he started is very different from anything else that's ever been found in this world. At least to the best of my knowledge, that's true. Our passage today is Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. Our passage next week is going to be chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I want to share with you that it may be helpful to think about this Sunday and next Sunday as two parts of the same sermon. I didn't want to cram it all into one Sunday for several different reasons. But as we get into the passage, we're going to see... A little bit, uh, uh, Luke, is, Luke, who is writing this, he's going to tell us kind of a general thing that's happening in, the, in, in God's people in these early days after the Spirit of God came, after Jesus went back to heaven. And then he's going to tell us about a man named Barnabas, and Barnabas was a man who did something right, and then he's going to tell us about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they did something wrong. The thing that Barnabas did right, Ananias and Sapphira did wrong. So this week, uh, well, well, we'll get into Ananias and Sapphira next week, but this week we're going to look at Barnabas. Now, I will say this. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, I would expect that some questions are raised this week that I'm not going to have time to answer, and I'm probably going to answer them next week. Um, but I'd love, you know, to hear, you know, any questions you may have, because uh, this passage hits home with us a little bit. I'm going to be talking about your stuff. I'm going to be talking about my stuff. I'm going to be talking about your money. I'm going to be talking about my money. How many of y'all love it when you come to church and we talk about stuff and money? Particularly your stuff and your money. <laughs> Most of us don't like that. At least generally speaking, that's true. But yes, Jesus Christ is Lord over our stuff. And he is Lord over our money. And the truth is, it's human nature for us to be attached to those things a little bit more than we should. And it is important for us as God's people to have the correct and appropriate relationship with money and with stuff. It's very, very important. So we're going to look at the early church today and we're going to kind of look at several other places in Scripture too to hear what God has to say to us. So let's read Acts 4. 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May God bless the, our time spent in His Word today. And may He shape us accordingly. Take four or five minutes, read this passage to yourself repeatedly, and we'll start uh, uh, discussions at individual tables uh, in just a bit.
All right. So there's five things going on in the first two verses. There's five things going on in the first two verses, y'all. First, we see there's unity. Secondly, we see generosity. Third, we see power, or I'm going to say miracles. And why do I say, why do I assume that miracles are being done? Because that word in the Greek that's translated power is dunamis. That, That word is often used when it talks about the power of God to do miracles. And that word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from. Don't you know, wherever there's a blast of dynamite, things change, don't they? So they were doing some dynamite miracles in the power of God. The fourth thing we see is the apostles were giving testimony to Jesus's resurrection. What does that mean? They were telling everyone, y'all remember Jesus? Well, he rose from the dead and they were telling people to repent and believe in him as Lord and Savior. And the fifth thing we see in verses 32 and 33 is that God's grace was upon them all. Look at this unity in verse 32. Wherever there is unity, there are people who let go of many things for something bigger and something better. What is it that they let go of in verse 32? Their stuff. They didn't have a stingy hand. Uh, I, was, I knew someone one time and they told me, they said, if you live life with an open hand, that means God can take out of it whatever he wants to. And he can also put in it whatever he wants to. But when you live with a closed hand, God doesn't tend to strip your, pull your fingers back and force something into it. So there was unity. They, they were rallied around Jesus Christ. They were full of his spirit. Remember last week we saw they were full of the spirit of God. And they were being a bold witness to the things that God had said. So, so they rallied around something bigger. And that created unity but they also let go of things that were less important. I've been a part of churches where there wasn't much unity in what you see. And I've been in jobs and different things where there's not much unity. I mean, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. But whenever there's not unity, it's usually because people are holding on to, to something more tightly than they should. And different people are holding on to different things and they're not rallied around the thing or a few of the important things. So we've got this unity. We see generosity through the sharing of possessions. We see the miracles, the giving the testimony to the resurrection of the dead. I often think about the first sermon my father-in-law preached here. It was either late 2013 or 2014. And... He, he, he said that he knew we were a loving church family. But he wanted us to be a loving church family that was expecting guests. And that has stuck with me. As a church, if we begin to be consumed with what's happening here, 
and we're not speaking to the outside world, we're going to destroy ourselves. They were not in maintenance mode, but they were in expansion mode. And they knew that the way the church grows is when the message of Jesus goes out and the apostles were leading the way. Yesterday, I had the privilege to lead a couple in a vow renewal ceremony, and there were probably 30 people there, and I would guess 25 or more didn't know Jesus. I don't know that. Many of them I met for the first time. It was a privilege to get to not only lead that couple in a special ceremony, but also to speak the gospel and to call people to faith and repentance in Christ. If God saved anyone yesterday, I have absolutely no idea about it. I would hope that I would find out at some point or, you know, anything. If God saves someone, he's going to do their work in them. How does the church grow? It's when the gospel goes out. The story of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, that he came and he died for sinners. And so the apostles, the church leaders at that time, they were leading the way. So I see this very much as a responsibility that falls upon me to lead the way in this, to to take every single opportunity I'm given to speak this word. And I take that seriously. And we see at the end of verse 33, God's grace was upon them all. Now let me say this about that statement. God, God was pouring it out, right? God was pouring it out. But they were doing their part. It is important when we think about ministry. We do our part and God does his. The apostles were preaching. They were sharing. They were living a generous life. And God poured his grace out. What's grace? It's a gift. The word grace, you could really take a lot of time to define that. But if you think about it, if you start with this idea, if you start with this word, you'll go in the right direction. But it has to do with a gift. If you give me a gift, I didn't deserve it, did I? Can you imagine living in a church where God was just pouring out his gifts on people? But great grace was upon them all. In our family worship time earlier in the week, we came across Psalm 133 and it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And it goes on to share a little bit more about that, about unity, when people live that way together. Then a few verses later, it says, There where there is unity, the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. So when I think about unity that we see in this church, when I think about how good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity, that sets up God to pour out his blessing, to pour out gifts upon us. So what was the result? Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. So... As we've been going through chapter 3 and chapter 4, I've been sharing that the way they were living, you know, really caused them to overcome the opposition that they faced. You know, they were, they were, there were sinful and evil people who were coming against them, but the, the light of the gospel was penetrating that darkness, right? 
How do we as the church overcome opposition? If we lived this way and the unbelieving world saw it, instead of hating us, they would want what we have. Isn't a lot of the world trying to get rid of poverty? Don't you... Haven't you seen poor people on TV? Haven't you been poor yourself? I mean, have you ever lived on the streets maybe? And you know what it's like to be in great need and no one to be there to help you? I mean, I mean, every, no one thinks poverty is a good thing. And many in our world are trying to eradicate poverty. But they fail over and over again. There are people that hate God that want to get rid of poverty. But we have this... Little snapshot in history of a time and a place where there was no need at all. And if our life, if we, if our community, if, if this is, was our story, if this is how someone described us, I, I believe we would see a church that would grow because it would be such a beautiful and wonderful and power dyna- powerful dynamic People could not deny that God is changing people and doing something wonderful. They would see the goodness of God because we as his people are letting the goodness of God just flow out of us. So the result of this unity, of this generosity, of all these things going on is there was not a needy person among them. So let's, uh, let's get kind of practical. How does that actually work? <laughs> How does that happen? Well, first off, let me say this. That verses 34 through 37, and also our passage for next week, chapter 5, 1 through 11. It speaks to us directly about the activity of wealthy Christians that were among them. This week in this passage and then next week's passage, there were people that had more than what they needed. And they sold their stuff and they gave their stuff. So let's read 34. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So people who had, I mean, I can only live in one house at a time, right? Amen. So people that had more than one house or extra property that they didn't need, they would sell it and they would bring it. Now, this does not mean it's a sin to be a landlord or to invest in rental property. It doesn't mean that at all. It's not a prohibition of having extra homes. But what it is, it's an example of people who had more than enough and they said, there's no need for me to hold on to that when there's this other need over there. And then people would let it go. People would sell it. So it says they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let me say this. This was, well, you know, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Never mind. So I asked this question. If there was not a needy person among them, how is this poverty alleviated? How did everyone actually have enough to eat? How did, actually, how did everyone actually have shelter over their heads? Well, the answer to that is very plain and clear in 34 and 35. 
It had to do with the redistribution of wealth from the wealthy to the needy. Now let me tell you, this is not advocating what many call socialism today, and I'll get to that more in a bit. So if you just heard me say that poverty was alleviated by the redistribution of wealth from the wealthy to the needy within the community, I want you to know that there's a way that that takes place that is not socialism. More on that later, as I said. So, this passage, it isn't the first time we've seen this in the book of Acts. We've already seen this happen one time. Acts 2.44, all who believed and were together, they were together, they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. But here's what's interesting, and this came up at our table. Nowhere in the book of Acts have people been commanded to sell their stuff and give it away. We've had some teaching so far, haven't we? But nowhere in here has it said, you got to sell that extra house that you're renting out to so-and-so. It hasn't said that anywhere. So why did this happen? And how did it happen? Well, the truth is, it was the fulfillment of many things that God intended for his people way before Jesus ever came. This life, this way of living with others, this way of loving your neighbor, it was something that we see that God intended for the people in the Old Testament. We had laws in the Old Testament to make sure that poor people had their basic needs met. There was also something called the year of Jubilee. It was to be every 49 years. And in that year, all debts were canceled. Okay? It just things were redistributed in a way that would ensure that everyone had a chance to work hard and do well for themselves and for those around them. But that year of Jubilee, it never happened. God commanded it. He gave those laws to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. But it never happened. They never actually did it. They weren't faithful. But now it's happening. People have all that they need. And it was happening voluntarily. See, those things in the Old Testament law that were never fulfilled, fulfilled because they weren't fulfilled because people couldn't fulfill those commands on their own strength. But now the Spirit of God is among them. And when the Spirit of God comes on you, you know what? You begin to fulfill the law of God. You begin to obey the law of God many times without even realizing it. Jesus followed the law of God and he did it through the spirit of God. You know, we will obey the law of God as his spirit is active in us. So in addition to that, when I asked the question, why did this happen and how did it happen? Well, not only was this part of the law, but there were just principles that God has created. Put in our world that made this happen. Uh, turn to Proverbs real quick, if you would. We got three passages in Proverbs I'm going to look at with you. Proverbs 11 is the first one. Proverbs is kind of in the middle of your Bible. <laughs> Once I have that song memorized, I'll sing it to y'all when we got to turn somewhere else. Proverbs 11:24. Please don't. You don't want me to sing the song all by myself? Proverbs eleven twenty four. 
Page 595 in the Blue Bible. All right, Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. What? Did you hear that? <laughs> One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. But I thought, if I give my stuff away, I'll have less stuff. That's right, you did think that. But God says otherwise, y'all. God says otherwise. So Proverbs 11, 24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. Goes on to say, whoever brings a blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. I think of what Jesus said, freely you have been given or freely you have received, so freely give. Turn to Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Page six oh three. Nineteen seventeen. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So if you give to the poor. You're lending to the Lord. And God will repay the man who gives for his deed. Look at Proverbs 28, 27. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes get many a, will get many a curse. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now, in our world today, a lot of people, they just say this is karma. Anybody ever heard of karma? Let me tell you what, there's no such thing as karma. Okay, there's a sovereign God overseeing blessings in our world. There's no karma out there. I say that these verses show us that God is commanding his blessing where he wants it to go. God is commanding his blessing. He is sending stuff and money wherever he wants it to go. His blessing, is it random or purposeful? It's with a purpose. It's not random. It's not, let me throw this out there and see who's the strongest and fastest to get it. No. God gives and he does all that he pleases. And then he withholds. It's just like we have seasons of plenty and we have seasons of want, don't we? We've had months and years where we barely could scratch by, felt like there's just no way we could make it. And then we've had other times where we've made twice as much as we needed, you know, and we'll probably have more both ahead of us. We've certainly had both behind us and those things change. So this is not karma, but this is a purposeful blessing that God grants to his people. So turn to Luke 12 in the New Testament. Jesus teaches us about the role of possessions. This is an incredible story. I love this story. Luke 12, 13. If you get there in the Blue Bible, tell us what page. 
twelve thirteen. Nine sixty five in the blue Bible. So so somebody asked Jesus a question, and then Jesus tells a story. Imagine that. I want to be a storyteller like Jesus. Luke twelve, verse thirteen. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You all, here's something we've got to learn about our stuff. Okay, the stuff we really enjoy, the stuff we think secures our future a year from now or 20 years from now, is what Jesus says in verse 15. Your life, our lives, do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. That can be taken away so fast. So fast. Amen. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. So let's continue to read. Verse 16, Jesus tells them a story. He tells them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and and my goods. And I will say to my soul, all right, this is the lie. This is what, if you ever say this to yourself, you're going to a dark place. Don't ever say this to yourself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's a temptation in our world to think, well, if I can just hit it big, if I win the lotto, or if I hit it big in business and I got my $10 million, then I don't have to work for the next five years. And all that's great. I believe God calls people to work whether you got money or not. Now that looks different in different seasons of life and you are to work to your ability. And some people certainly can work more than others and all that's fine and all that's good. But if your great goal in life is to get enough money so you don't have to work or so you think you have a free and easy ride, then you're going to end up in a very dark place and you are deceiving yourself. He said, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If you find yourself saying that, you're going to a dangerous spot. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night. And if God ever calls you a fool, you're in a dark place too, okay? (laughs) So fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You all, the possessions, the stuff you have, the houses, the land, the money, the bank accounts, your, your whatever extra you have, it is an opportunity for you to be rich toward God. And your spiritual bank account gets bigger as you give and as you are generous in our world here. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, you don't have to turn there, I'll be there real quick. It says... Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right, now we're still in Luke 12. Turn to verse 32. Turn to verse 32. 
Might be on the same page, might not be. All right, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. All right, let's stop right there. I told you in the book of Acts, there had been no commands given. But it was the teaching of our Lord to sell your stuff and to give to those in need. And as the Spirit of God comes upon this early church, they are being obedient to the command of Christ. So verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Y'all, there's so many in our world that spend so much time trying to figure out which investment is the best. Well, I tell you, Jesus has an investment opportunity for us that never fails. And they return so much more than any business opportunity or stock market option could provide to us. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says this. He's asking some people to give, some people in modern day Greece, to send a big offering for some people in Jerusalem. Times were hard in Jerusalem and times were prosperous in Greece. And he says this. Give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. And he says, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for you. He's not saying, don't give of things that you need and use in every day. And, and don't give so much that you can't provide for your family's needs this week. Amen. I believe that's what he's saying. But what he says to them, and this is 2 Corinthians 8, 14. He says, right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. That's Acts chapter 4 coming alive right in front of us. What is the purpose of the extra stuff that God has given you? It is to meet the needs of others. I believe that with all of my heart. It says, right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they're going to have plenty and can share with you when you need it. Okay, so if people hear about this, aren't they going to try to take advantage of us? If they knew they could just come here and we would take care of them, wouldn't, wouldn't we attract some creepy folks who have no intention of contributing? Most likely. But the Apostle Paul has an answer for that. He addressed that issue, I believe, twice. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're moving more into Bible. So Ephesians is after Luke. So turn towards the end a little bit. Yeah, we got, we got Ephesians and then one more after that we're going to turn to and we'll be done. Chapter 4, verse 28. See, as people, as outsiders come into the church, they come to Jesus, right? If they don't believe in Jesus, are they a member of the church? No, they're not. Can they attend? Absolutely. Are they welcome? Absolutely. But are they one of us? No, they're not. So, Ephesians 4.28, Paul says this. Let the thief no longer steal. 
Okay, so a thief doesn't get to come into the church and continue to be a thief and get to participate in the blessings of the church. Paul says, let the thief no longer still, but rather let him work, let him labor. Doing what? Honest work with his own hands. Not with somebody else's hands, but with his own hands. So that he may have something. Something for what? To share with anyone in need. See, God is calling people to work to the best of their ability so that they can share with others. So we can take care of each other. See, work is good. Some people think that work is part of what happened when Adam and Eve sinned and it was because of the fall. But no, God commanded work before the the sin ever entered into the world. We see a God who worked six days and he rested one. And that is to be a pattern for us, I believe. We usually get at one or two extremes. We work seven days a week or we don't want to lift a finger. (laughs) And no, we have to plan our life so that we work six days and rest one. I believe and things will go very well. See, this verse in Ephesians 4.28, you know, just really, I want y'all to know that we don't let people in who, who intend to take advantage of God's people. Amen. When things become aware of that, the elders of the church need to deal with it. I think we have this verse to stand on right here. So yeah, no one has a need, but we're all one heart and one soul in Christ. The thief isn't in Christ. All right, turn a little bit further to the right to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians is right after what book of the Bible? 1 Thessalonians. Good job. And it's right before Timothy. Chapter 3. All right, 1,092. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, we keep, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So what does that mean? He's being idle. He's not doing anything. So if there's a brother and he's unwilling to work, keep away from him. It also says, if he's not following the tradition that was received, then keep away. Now, what does that mean? It means the teaching about the gospel and the way the gospel calls us to live. So if there's someone amongst us who doesn't want to live according to how God calls us to live, and we got to be careful how we handle that because some people know Jesus more than others. And, you know, there's... You've got to be careful with this. But we are commanded to keep away from those who do not live according to the tradition of the apostles. Verse 7. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. He's saying, we came to you and we were working. We were making stuff. We were selling stuff. Verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. What he's saying here is that we came to you and we were supporting ourselves. We were paying our own way. 
We didn't have to do that. We could have asked for you to support us, and that would not have been wrong. But we chose to work, is what he's saying in these verses. We wanted to give you an example to imitate. Then verse 10, y'all, things get really clear. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Let me say that again. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. That means you're not doing anything. You're not busy at work, but they have become busybodies. Okay? We don't have room for busybodies in the church. Busybodies aren't going to be happy here for very long. We don't play those games. Those games dishonor God. And when there's a busybody, Acts chapter 4, the unity and the generosity, the miracles and the preaching of the resurrection, those things don't happen. You know why? Because the busybody makes it all about them and they want all the attention. And instead of putting the attention on Jesus Christ and on those in need, the busybody's getting the attention. And that's why Paul says, get rid of the busybody. They're not about God's kingdom. They're not about the gospel. They're about themselves, even when they look like they're about God's kingdom. Even when they say they're about the gospel. Even when they say they're about other people. No, they're about themselves. So the busybodies will destroy the ministry of the church. Verse 12 says, Now such persons, the idle people, the lazy people, the busybodies, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I want to say this as we wrap up. The early church was not practicing what has come to be known as socialism today. Many in the Democratic Party want to bring socialism to our nation, and it is evil. Republican Party has their evils too. But the evil of the Democratic Party, and many and some who aren't Democrats, is pushing for a very evil system that is known as socialism. There are many problems with it. You know what the Bible calls socialism? It calls it theft. It calls it theft. Throughout history, and I've read extensively on this in the last few years, Throughout history, here's another thing that's wrong with it. Throughout history, in socialist nations, the ones who are in charge, when the government decides who they're going to take from and who they're going to give to, they're often the ones who are exempt from the redistribution. They get to decide, well, we're going to take from this group and give to that group, but they will never decide that they're going to have to give or take themselves. Historically in our world, some nations, they want everyone to be the same. They want everyone to have the same amount to work with. But the ones who are administrating that and calling the shots will always have more than everybody else. You know what the Bible calls that? Hypocrisy. The Bible calls that hypocrisy. And when we look at Acts chapter 4, I want you to know that even distribution of resources was not the goal. They were not trying to make us all look the same. Y'all, in the church, some people are going to have more stuff than others. Some people are going to have bigger houses than others. And God's okay with that. 
God is really okay with some of his people having more than others. What he's not okay with is stintiness. It is not evil to be rich, but it is evil to be stingy. Even distribution was never the goal in the early church. What was the goal? It was meeting the needs of those who were in need. They wanted to pull the needy out of poverty. They were not trying to get rid of the rich, but they were trying to eliminate poverty by meeting needs. Let me say this about our government. It is not the role of government to take from those who work and give to those who do not. The role of government is defined clearly in Romans 13 and in Proverbs and in many, especially Old Testament passages. So enough about government, enough about socialism. Look at verse 36 and 37. This is a case study. This is who we want to be. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. I'm sorry, we're back in Acts chapter 4, verse 37. Sorry, that was confusing. Acts 4.36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. What did he do? He sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Y'all, this reminds me of our God. What does God do? He gives generously. He gives freely. And in God's case, I mean, I don't know how important this field was to Barnabas, but I know in God's case, he gave that which was most precious to him. God gave his own son. And I think most of us in here probably have all the stuff that we need. I don't, I don't think there's any extreme poverty in this room, at least best I can tell. But I want to say that there's a spiritual, <coughs> excuse me, there's a spiritual poverty out there. That we've all known. We're bankrupt spiritually, you all. We, we, have, we have nothing that we can give to God that would make God love us. Did you know that? We have nothing that we can bring to God that will make Him okay with us. Because we've all screwed it up royally, haven't we? But even though we don't have what we need to give to God... God just gives it to us, you know. See, we're the needy ones. We're the ones who are bankrupt. We're the ones who can't earn our way to God. We're the ones who should be in hell. But there's only one way to God, and that is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And how much did that cost us? See, we couldn't pay that price, could we? But God could. And God did. God gave to us. And all these people we're reading about today, they're just being like the God who saved them. They know what they were saved from. They know that it was free. And they're like, if God did this for me, I'm going to do it for other people. And y'all, that's a beautiful thing. That's what God is saying to us today. So by His Spirit... Let's be this group of people. Amen.